There's a song that was released in 1988. And over the next several weeks, it ended up hitting number one in the music charts in seven different countries. Uh, and it was the first a cappella song to reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. The song is a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. I probably recognize that. Don't worry, be happy. Okay. Uh, the, the lyrics continue on. In every life, we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make a double. Don't worry. Be happy. While the message seems simple enough, it's not always that easy. Today we're looking at Psalm 77, where we see an author who needed much more than a, a peppy song with an encouraging message to deal with his anguish. If I could give a short overall summary and application of the psalm, I'd put it this way. When overwhelmed with trouble and feeling like there is no relief in sight, do not relent in remembering the character and works of God. Again, whenever, when overwhelmed with trouble and feeling like there is no relief in sight, do not relent in remembering the character and works of God. So we're going to read this psalm first, and then we'll just dig a little bit more into it. If you, would, you can either follow along on the screen as we go, or if you want to grab one of the Bibles from uh, underneath the chairs, page 488 is where you can find Psalm 77, page 488. To the choir master, according to Yedutun, a psalm of Asaph, I cry aloud to God, Aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made me known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your paths through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wide variety of situations and feelings that uh, we can find in, in your word. Lord, in this case, uh, uh, an author who was wrestling with times of trouble and 
Very often we can find ourselves in similar situations. So thank you that we can look to a psalm like this for comfort and encouragement and instruction. Thank you also for the psalms we can look to when we're in a time of overwhelming joy and rejoicing. And and we can find uh, a like sentiment there. Thank you also that you don't leave us to ourselves. That you are with us and you guide us. And you have laid out the paths for us. And also, Lord, thank you that you don't leave us to ourselves from the standpoint of being um, living the, the daily life of, of our Christian walk by ourselves, but you surround us and your intention is for us to be uh, joined together and to be in, in fellowship and community with other believers who can be a comfort and an encouragement and a rebuke as needed. So thank you for that. We pray that uh, your spirit would accompany your word and would uh, minister to each as needed. It's the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. So, first just kind of working our way through the psalm in a little bit more detail, and then looking at a few applications that we might be able to draw from it. The psalm, broadly speaking, can be broken up into two different sections. In the first section, verses 1 through 9, the author is in the depths of despair. But then verse 10 acts as kind of a turning point where from verses 10 through 20, he's being lifted out of his despair. Uh, And as we go, we'll even see that within that broad structure of despair coming out of despair, there are three salahs that break this into four different sections, and we'll talk about that word later. But in the despair section, it's more like initially a general description of how he was feeling, and then he goes into more depth and more detail. And then in the coming out of his despair, similar kind of a thing. It's like broadly, generally speaking, and then he goes into more depth and more detail of what he's looking at there. So first, we can look at just the title that is given to it. It says, To the choir master, according to Yeratun, a psalm of Asaph. And that according to, I, I was not completely sure how to pronounce that. And at first I looked up one thing and... It's just an obscure enough of a name that it's not that easy to find pronunciation guide. And uh, there's this one YouTube video I ran across. It was 34 seconds of just Jaduthun, 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 Jaduthun. I'm like, for 34 seconds. I, I think that was how long it was. Like, okay, kind of helpful. I think that was more of an Americanized uh, pronunciation of the name, whereas uh, I think it, more traditionally it would have been Yedutun. Something more along that line. And here's what we know about him. He's mentioned a couple times in First Chronicles. And he, his name means lauder, like to give laud and, and praise. Lauder or praiser. And he was one of the three masters of music appointed by David. And then also, I believe, served into the beginning of Solomon's reign after the, the, ta- after the temple was finished. His overall position was to oversee some of the temple music. And he's mentioned at the beginning of Psalms 39 62, and then this one, 77. So a couple of things we see. First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 41 and 42 says, With him were Heman and Yedotun, and the rest of those chosen and expressly named to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And that, that phrase there, to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. That was like the overarching emphasis that was given. Of, Here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to musically communicate to the people and communicate to God. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And then verse 42, Heman and Yedotun had trumpets and cymbals for the music and instruments for sacred song. The sons of Yedotun were appointed to the gate. And then in 1 Chronicles chapter 25, David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Yedutun, who prophesied with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. Of Yedutun, the sons of Yedutun, and it lists his six sons, under the direction of their father Yedutun, who prophesied with the lyre in thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. That's just a little bit about him. And where it says, according to, 
yet a tune. It, it appears to be the author saying, okay, I wrote this for your choir and your musicians to perform, and I kind of even stylize it to fit the music that you guys do. So what it looks like was the case there. And it says, a psalm of Asaph. And most take this to mean that Asaph himself was the author. Some say that uh, we think that we don't know who the author was, but that it was in the style or under the guidance or in direction of Asaph. But a little bit about Asaph. His name means God has gathered. And he, his name is attributed to Psalm 50 and then also Psalms 73 to 83. So this is kind of right in the middle of, of a chunk of Psalms that say, a Psalm of Asaph. And he was one of those other three that was put in charge of the music of the tabernacle and then later the temple. First uh, Chronicles 25.2 says, of the sons of Asaph, and it lists his four sons, sons of Asaph under the direction of Asaph who prophesied under the direction of the king. And then from First Chronicles chapter 15 David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals, to raise sounds of joy. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and of his brothers Asaph, the son of Berechiah. And then the, in the next chapter, 1 Chronicles 16, So David left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister regularly before the ark, as each day required. That's just a little bit about that title that we have in To the Choir Master. So Asaph apparently wrote it for Yedutun's choir to perform it under the leadership of the choir master that possibly was Yedutun, possibly someone else. But now, jumping into the beginning, we have these first three verses. And these first three verses act as a kind of introduction or opening statement informing us of the psalmist's condition, or of Asaph's condition, where he says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. A few things to note. He refers to his condition as in the day of my trouble. It's very vague. Uh, there are a couple things in this hymn that some point to where they say that this is intended to be kind of like a national hymn, meaning it was intended to communicate a group's sentiment and a, the, the entire nation's feelings that they were going through as opposed to an individual, but it, it, it really works just fine either way. So I'm going to look at a little bit more from just the single individual's perspective. In the day of my trouble, so what might this have been? Perhaps distressing national events because of an enemy threat? Maybe a life-threatening illness in a loved one? Perhaps a strained relationship? Maybe some kind of consequence that he was suffering under because of sin? Later, when we look at verse 9, we'll see that he mentions God's anger. And, and that, that might be an indication that what he's going through here is actually a consequence or a punishment for some sin that he had committed. And he's wrestling with those circumstances. But kind of like these, the individual versus national or group, uh, I think that we can draw just the same applications from it. If, if he did not do anything to deserve the circumstances, or if or if he had committed some kind of a sin and he's suffering those consequences. We can also note, he's doing a lot of stuff that initially looks great. He's praying. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God. He believes that God will hear him. Where he says, and he will hear me. So he's praying. He believes that God will hear him. He's seeking the Lord. It says, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. Um, another reference to prayer, in the night my hand is stretched out with wearing. So that's this kind of a posture of prayer, and just all night. So is in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out. It appears to be a day and night kind of a thing. He's crying out to God in his circumstances. He remembers God. 
verse 3, when I remember God. Uh, and then the second half of that verse, when I meditate. He's meditating. So he's crying out to God. He believes that God will hear him. He's seeking God. He's remembering God. He's meditating. All great things, but what's the effect that he's experiencing? Well, first we see his soul refuses to be comforted. Uh, That's at the end of verse 2. My soul refuses to be comforted. Sometimes we're in a situation like that. We're in a condition like that. Where it's just like, on the one hand, we don't want to be feeling the way that we're feeling. But on the other hand, sometimes it can be pity party related. It can be, uh, I don't know, all the ins and outs that, that, that can fuel this. But sometimes we can be in a place just like, actually, I, if you offer me comfort, I'm going to kind of refuse that because I actually kind of don't want to be comforted right now. I kind of want to stay in this rut that I'm in. Whether sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, we can, we can be in a place like that. Sometimes it might be, I want comfort, but under my terms. I, I, I don't want to be comforted by doing that. I'm almost kind of like, uh, oh, just suddenly popping into my head. The, um, was it he, no, Haman. Haman, right? When he went to Elijah to be cleansed of his leprosy. And Elijah said, do this, go to the Jordan, wash Naaman, thank you. I was like, Haman is, yeah, yeah, Naaman. Uh, go to the Jordan, wash seven times, you'll be cleansed. And his initial reaction is like, well, that, that's lame. That's not, the, I, I expected some kind of a grand thing, and I'm a really important person. Shouldn't there be some kind of like show and at least something being waved? I mean, you know, but sometimes the comfort that we need is not exactly what we're looking for, and so we can reject it. So yeah, his soul refuses to be comforted. And then verse 3, when I remember God, I moan. So it's like, remember God in some shape or form, it's causing him to moan. And it's just like, to continue on in this state that he's in. And then thirdly, when I meditate, my spirit faints. So he's, he's doing some good things, but it's not having the effect that you would expect it to have. And then there's a Selah. And there's disagreement about exactly what Selah means, but either way you view it, it it has kind of the the same effect. Some say it's a musical term, and it meant some kind of a pause or break in the music, and to maybe a little musical interlude, though some point out, when you look at where it occurs in some psalms, and then all of the psalms that don't have Selah, where you would expect there to be some kind of a musical interlude. We're not quite sure if the musical, like, instrumental interlude thing works. Uh, so that's where some take more of the direction of, oh, it, it, it probably, musically, if we go with the musical interpretation, it means that the choir who is singing this, what's coming next is a little bit of a change, is a little bit of a new section that they should renew their efforts for the beginning of what is about to come because it is some kind of a, almost like a, a new stanza, a new part of the music that they should focus on. And in the non-musical direction, some take it as just kind of a pause and ponder, pause and contemplate. And either way, it's like, okay, let's stop and let's think about this for a moment before we move on. Or musically, we're about to enter into a new section. It has the same kind of a feel. So this acts as kind of a break. And what we're going to see in the next uh, five verses, I think, six verses, is that he's going to go into a little bit more depth of what he's doing to seek God and how he feels about it. So looking at verses 4 through 9, he says, You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, Let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever? And never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. All right, so 
verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. It, he apparently is blaming God for his lack of sleep. Like in, in his troubles and, and in his crying out, I'm sure there's a combination of not sleeping because of his feelings and not sleeping because of his prayers. A little, little bit of both. Uh, you hold my eyelids open. open. Who is he attributing his lack of sleep to? He's saying, basically, God, you're keeping me from getting sleep. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. His, his feelings of being overwhelmed is taking him to the point of just being speechless. Then he considers, I, he says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. And this is another thing that initially looks like a, a very good strategy that you would expect to be working, but later on we'll, we'll see a subtle difference. Uh, looking back on better times can be encouraging. You know, I consider the days of long ago. He's looking back at a past time when things were better. But looking back on former times can also make the present pain seem harder to bear and can cause things to descend into a pity party. And what we'll see is later we'll, com- we'll compare this to a, a different verse and we'll see a contrast of what was lacking here when he was considering the days of old. And he says, I said, let me remember my song in the night. This also initially sounds pretty good. Sing an encouraging song. Sing a good song. Sing a song that has brought joy and comfort in the past. And similar to the um, considering days of old, we'll, we'll see a contrast with something later in the psalm. And he says, Then my spirit made a diligent search. And a, a series of questions follow. So as, his, as he says, okay, let me just, let my spirit just search for what is going on here and, and what I'm feeling and, and what I think about it. And what he finds is this, these questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Like, is, is, this, is this the end of God's favor? Is, that, is it the favor of God was something for the past and that is never again going to happen? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Is the, the times of the love of God, is that over and done with? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? These questions most take it as he's like legitimately wrestling with these things and asking these questions. There are a few who take it more as like rhetorical questions like, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Like he's rhetorically saying, no, of course the Lord will not spurn forever. And of course he will never again be favorable. Uh, I lean toward saying that these are legitimate questions that he's wrestling with, mainly because of the placement of the Selah. Because the, the, the placement of the Selah is with the previous questions and struggles that he's having with, that he's having, which I, I would take this entire little section here, verses 4 through 9, as these are the, the struggles that he's dealing with and the questions that he's raising, and he's getting caught up and swept away and is feeling speechless and feeling like God is not answering and God is not helping. He's trying to think of past times, and he's trying to sing an encouraging song, but it's not helping, and he's distressed. And then this, this section ends with that Selah, and then in just a moment we'll see a, a stark contrast. So I take it as he's just, as he is diligently searching in his spirit how he feels about his circumstances and what he thinks about his circumstances, this is where his thoughts are taking him. His thoughts are taking him to, I don't know if God is ever again going to be favorable. Maybe God's love has ended. Maybe he's forgotten to be gracious. Maybe he is just full of anger and he said, alright, that is enough compassion, no more compassion. Your compassion is over and done with. But then, stop. Selah. New section, new sentiment, new verse of the song. Stop, pause, and consider where your thoughts are taking you. And let's look at what comes next. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of 
of the Most High. And I'm, I'm going to pause there just for a moment. Uh, the wording in the Hebrew here is such that there are two or three different ways that this gets translated sometimes. We have this wording, I will appeal to this to the years of the right hand of the Most High. And it's like he said, okay, stop. Here's where I'm going to base my appeal. God and what he has done in the past. The, another way of translating this is, I think, how the King James does it. He says, instead of, I will appeal to this, it's, this is my infirmity. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. So the second half is, is pretty similar there. But just like, this is my infirmity, just kind of like owning his situation. And just saying, yeah, I'm in a troubled place. And... The circumstances are what they are. This is what God has given to me right now. Now let me think about and consider what God might have for me for how to make it through this trial. And then the other way that is translated sometimes is, This is my grief that the right hand of the Lord, of the Lord Most High has changed. So that way of interpreting is saying, Okay, you want to know what my grief is? My grief is, is that God has changed and once he dealt favorably, once he dealt with kindness and compassion and grace and love, but that has changed. And I don't like that interpretation because this is after that Selah, that it's kind of like saying, okay, we're looking at something new now. We're in a new section. And so I like either of the first two, this being one of them, of saying, okay, new section, new sentiment, new focus. I'm going to appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Let me consider the years and years and years and years of God's faithfulness and fulfilling His promises and dealing well with His people. So then he continues, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your right hand. Sorry, you have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. So he starts out saying twice, I will remember. I will remember. And then in verse 12, he says, I will ponder all your work, and meditate on your mighty deeds. And here's where we see that contrast. Because earlier, what he said, he said, for like what he was looking to for comfort, he said, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. That's looking at his or his nation's past circumstances. He's like comparing his current circumstances to his past circumstances and saying, you know what? When I look back at former times, you know what I see? Things were better. And it wasn't comforting him very much. What he looks to here when it comes to the past times is not the past circumstances, but God's past deeds. And the focus is on the Lord rather than the circumstances. So he says, I will remember, not the days of old, but I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. And then similarly with the song that he was singing earlier, when he said, I remember my song in the night, and it wasn't giving him comfort, I, I see the same thing going on, where his focus was on the song, not on the God that the song was about. And so it's like earlier, he was trying to find comfort, but he was trying to find comfort in comparing his current circumstances to past circumstances and in seeing it's like, well, and then with the song, almost kind of like, okay, well, this song has cheered me up in the past. I have sung this song before and found great comfort. Let me look to the song to comfort me. And so his focus was a little off earlier because where his focus should have been is, let, I have found comfort in the God that this song is singing about. And I have found comfort in God's past works and God's past dealings. 
And so now the focus is where it should be, which is on the Lord rather than on the things that had comforted him in the past. Or maybe even he had found comfort in God in those things in the past, but where he was with refusing to be comforted, where he was with getting caught up with his feelings and his sentiments, is inadvertently the, the focus got latched onto the things rather than the God that the things were about. And it says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And that second half of verse 12, and meditate on your mighty deeds, it's a word that sometimes is translated to talk and sometimes to meditate. And sometimes based on the context, it's really clear, oh, in this verse, yes, that word should clearly be translated to meditate. It just, that's the only way it makes sense. Other verses that that Hebrew word is in, it's just clear from the context, oh, this clearly is saying to talk. This one I could see going either way, and I think there's good application either way, uh, of saying, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and talk of your mighty deeds. And there's, or, and meditate on your mighty deeds. There's a lot of benefit from either meditating upon the, the mighty deeds of the Lord or talking of the mighty deeds of the Lord. And if nothing else, if you're talking of them, you are also meditating upon them. And if you're meditating upon them, you're essentially at least talking of them to yourself. So he now goes from generally considering the character and works of God to more specifically contemplating them. So we talked earlier about how each big section can be split up into two littler sections with the Selahs, where he's just generally saying here, I'll ponder the works of God, I'll remember the deeds of the Lord, I'll remember his wonders of old, I'll remember his, I'll meditate on his mighty deeds. Now the final section, he focuses on some specific ones. He doesn't just stay generous like, God has done great things but he reminds himself of specific great things that God has done. And so this final section, verses 16 to 20. When, I, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. Uh, I'm going to pause there. Verse 16, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. And so he's reminding himself of the, the, the miraculous deliverance that God had granted the people of Israel. And when Israel was fleeing from the, well, when Israel was leaving the Egyptians, and then, then the Egyptian army came to pursue, the waters saw you, O God? And when those waters saw you? It's like as if the water of the sea itself was afraid, and they split apart and split open for the people to miraculously pass through. Uh, verse 17, some take as still being about the crossing of the Red Sea. Uh, Josephus, in his history, describes there being thunder and lightning and an earthquake and some rain when the Red Sea parted and the Israelites passed and the waters crashed down on the Egyptian army. Some say that verses 17 and 18 is a reference to Mount Sinai, when the people were there at Mount Sinai, and the thunder and lightnings and the cloud as God spoke to them out of, out of the cloud. But again, either way, same application. He's remembering specific past mighty works of the Lord. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. What arrows is he referring to? We see that come up in verse 18. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. So the, the lightning and the thunder, and then the lightning being metaphorically described as arrows flashing from the Lord. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Again, an earth could be possibly the, the, the shaking of the voice of the Lord at Mount Sinai or an earthquake when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. And then continuing on in verse 19, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So again, reminding himself of specific past 
wondrous things that God had done. So what great and mighty things has God done for you? Or has God done for others? What stories can you call to mind that demonstrate the character and work of God? First and foremost, look to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. If you want a glorious work to consider uh, of just, okay, I'm going to pause and remember something amazing that God has done for me. A good place to start would be the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, Also, consider anything you're aware of involving God's saving work in your life. How about the particular circumstances that led to when God saved you? Um, Yeah, I guess just sharing briefly. I I know for me, I was raised in in a strong Christian home. Did Awana, memorize verses, memorize catechism and verses to support the catechisms and wide variety of things like that. And um, always pretty compliant and, you know, didn't mind going to church, didn't mind. One of my earliest memories was, well, I think I was like four years old and some memory of praying. And, but it was around when I was 14 years old, just started to have a general impression of my sinfulness. There's no particular sin that God was convicting of. It was just more of a conviction of my sinfulness. And that continued, and that continued, and that continued. And the main effect that it had on me was fear, because I knew that if I died as I was, I knew the eternal you know, consequence that awaited me. And that, that induced fear in me. I remember riding in the car on the way to school when I was in high school, and um, on regular occasions, the thought that would be running through my mind as I'm riding to school was, if we get in a car accident and die, I'm going to hell. I even remember being at um, Paramount's Great America, riding some of the rides. And they, they have the, the rides like the big ship that sways back and forth and then hangs upside down. And I'm on this ride hanging upside down instead of being like, woo this is so much fun. I'm like, if something breaks and I fall and die, I'm going to hell. <laughs> that was literally what was going through my mind. That, that lasted for about a year. It was not a very fun year. Uh, just like constantly just like, if I die, I'm going to hell because I am a sinner and I have not genuinely looked to Christ in faith for forgiveness for my sins. Uh, and, but then there was this one evening, I was feeling kind of sick, I was just hanging out in my room, resting for a bit, there was some kind of Bible study that my parents were hosting that evening, and just finally, I guess, broke of my independence, of, of whatever was keeping me at arm's reach from God, and just cried out for repentance, for salvation, and it was just overwhelmed with an indescribable sense of peace that was unlike anything I had felt for the past year or at any point in my life. Uh, yeah, so look back to, if, if there are circumstances involving your salvation that you can look back to, that can be another good thing to look to. Also consider, let's see, how about times when you were tempted to sin but the Holy Spirit held you back? These are all good sources to look to for contemplating God's character and works. And one thing that I see in in this psalm, I see this as being one example of something that I call not listening to yourself, but talking to yourself. Don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. And what I mean by that distinction is listening to yourself, I see as allowing your thoughts and feelings to go where they will. And of allowing those to feed how you're feeling. And what we see, I, I think that's what was happening with those questions that he ended up going through. Where he, he said, he said right before that, uh, let's see, where am I looking? 
He said, then my spirit made diligent search. He's like, I let my spirit search out how I'm feeling. And how is he feeling? All of these questions started to rise up. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And just he's just getting swept away with his own thoughts and feelings. So don't listen to yourself. But then by the talk to yourself part, uh, what I see that is intentionally filling your mind with good truths to guide and direct and change what you otherwise would naturally be getting carried away with. And when he, there's that Selah right at the end of those questions, and he said, then I said, I will appeal to this. To the years of the right hand of the Most High. And it continues, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. So it's like he just said, like, whoa, 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 stop. I need to talk to myself here. And I need to talk to myself about good truths, about good things to guide and focus where my thoughts and feelings would otherwise be going. So don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. Now what what that kind of assumes is that we have a lot, is that we have things at our disposal to do that talking to yourself about. That we have at our disposal good truths, good things to ponder, to contemplate, to meditate on. And so some of that we've hinted at already with, uh, like, with contemplating the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, of circumstances involving your salvation, of past things that God has done for you that were wonderful provisions or times of just grace or sweet times of, of feeling a sense of God's presence and a sense of God's blessing. So those can all be great. But I think there are other things we can also add to our arsenal or our, um, well, I guess I'll just leave it as arsenal, of weapons at our disposal for filling our mind and then our heart for talking to ourselves to keep us from getting swept away with our own thoughts and feelings. So I would encourage you to memorize and meditate on God's word. That would be the, the number one place to start is find scriptures to memorize that might be applicable to either things you're currently feeling or that might be applicable to things that you anticipate potentially feeling in the future. That when those thoughts and feelings start to arise, you basically say, whoa, 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 stop. I'm not going to listen to myself. I'm going to talk to myself and then remind yourself of, of those things from God's word. Also, we can learn and sing good songs. Some of the songs we had this morning are along that line of, of when you're feeling like you otherwise are way over your head in some kind of trial or difficulty. Wonderful songs that remind you of God's faithfulness, of God's sovereignty, of the fact that God is, has these circumstances for you, not for you to feel overwhelmed, not for you to get swept and carried away in doubt and fear, but that he is pruning you and he is purifying you and he is molding you more into the image of his son so that you can be more Christ-like and thus have so much more uh, if in, in, your, in your life as far as just confidence in Christ and, um, and joy in obedience and walking with the Lord so you can have so much more of like like that and also so that Christ can be magnified and exalted that much more by the fact that you are becoming a better reflection of him. So memorize and meditate on God's word, learn and sing good songs. I also could recommend read biographies of Christians. Uh, as you read biographies and you see combination of the circumstances that the, some of these past people have gone through as well as their confidence and faith of, in God in the midst of their circumstances, knowing their stories can be uh, an, an amazing reminder and can also serve as more of that you know, arsenal or more of those tools for talking to yourself. 
and then talk to other believers. You know, I just don't mean like, hey, did you watch the Niner game yesterday? Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, let, let's have a little bit of a focus of when we connect with each other, whether it be at a midweek study or on Sunday morning, that we, if you're, if you're not already, try to make a little bit more of a regular habit of connecting with each other at a deeper level of how we're doing, how we're struggling, how God has how God is bringing us out of that struggle, how God has recently brought us out of some past struggle. And I, I know there's a lot of vulnerability there. I know that we oftentimes just tend to keep things on, on kind of a, how are you doing? Good, great, glad to hear it, kind of a level. But there's a lot more that can be had with connecting with each other. And, and I know that a lot of that goes on already, but just wanted to encourage in that way. But then back to the first one that I mentioned of other sources of, of tools and of arsenal of memorizing and meditating on God's Word. Uh, I wanted to offer, and I don't have the specific details planned out yet. Some of it depends on how many of you would like to jump in on something like this. But if you find that you struggle with memorizing Scripture as much or as regularly or as faithfully as you would like to, I would like to offer to orchestrate some kind of a, of a way for helping check in on that. Uh, what I anticipate it being is something like um, you, which I'll, I'll let you know my email address here in just a second, but just let me know, hey, I would like to you know, uh, jump in on, on that scripture memorization. And I'll probably initially check to see if you have any verses already that you plan to memorize. Like if you want to pick your own stuff out, or if you would like me or someone else to select for you. And then also approximately how much, how often. Like you're looking at, okay, I'm going to start with one verse a week, or five verses a week, or or whatever is your goal. So like, do you want to pick out or have someone else pick out? And kind of what's your goal for how often? And then it it could be something as simple as a text message, or maybe I could do so a little bit of like assigning of, okay, you two for the next month are briefly connecting on Sunday mornings. Like, hey, did you memorize what you were supposed to memorize? Okay, go ahead, recite it real quick. And okay, your turn. Now you recite what you memorize. And just like quick connect on the week, uh, on on Sunday mornings, or some kind of a a text or email. So if you would like to uh, participate in something like that. My church email is tim at eastparkway.org. And just shoot me a message, and then I'll see who's interested, and then I'll work on the details of of what that will look like in the near future. So again, that's tim at eastparkway.org if you would like some help or some accountability with some scripture memorization. So a little bit more with that, talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself. If Asaph had both the Old and New Testaments, how could he have halted his questions in their tracks by talking to himself instead of listening to himself? So back at verse 7, he had that, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? He could have stopped immediately and said, whoa, wait a second, Romans 11.1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. Or, oh, wait a second, Psalm 94.14. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. So that question, you could have stopped right there with those two verses of, will, will God's, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Oh wait, here are two verses that make it very clear, nope, that is not going to happen. Or his questions in verse 8, has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? He could have stopped, oh wait, Psalm 103, 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Or 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Or 1 Kings 8.56, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. And then his verse 9 questions. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? How about Exodus 34, 6? 
The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Or Lamentations three twenty-two through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So those are some verses where he just could have, as those questions started to weld up, he could have even, you know, he could have gotten out of his funk, like, you know, two and a half verses sooner, okay? <laughs> so did it work? And when we just go back to the psalm, did it work? Did Asaph's contemplations deliver him from despair? Well, we're not explicitly told that, that he got out of the troubles that he was in before. But Asaph makes no further mention of how he feels. Right? It's like, this is how I'm feeling, this is how I'm feeling, this is how I'm feeling. I'm trying this, I'm trying this, I'm trying this, and this is, I'm still feeling, I'm getting. And then he stops and his focus changes and he never again goes back to how he's feeling. And I think we're supposed to interpret this that he was so overwhelmed by his thoughts about God that it's as if he forgot about his own circumstances and feelings. As his focus shifted to, oh, the Lord has done this, and God has done this, and God has done this, and God, that like his, his emotions and his heart and soul just got swept up with contemplating the glorious and amazing things that God has done. This is, oh yeah, that's right. Almost, I kind of forgot. I was troubled, and I was not, I mean, I was upset. And that as his focus changed, I think that's why we, the psalm just ends. And he never goes back to, and thus I felt comforted, or, or anything like that. You know, there's no verse 21. You know? it, is just, it just ends with he's still contemplating the amazing things that God has done. And even ending with, you led your people like a flock. So he ends with that image of God being a shepherd. And I'm just saying, you know what? Okay, I'm a sheep. God is a shepherd. And... He is a faithful and a good shepherd. I'm not out on my own as some sheep wandering around facing every danger that might come, but that's right. My circumstances are what they are because God as a good shepherd is leading and guiding and directing me where he sees fit and he is in control and these circumstances are for my good. He is feeding me. He is taking care of me. He is watching over me. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And that's right. Oftentimes God has other people in our lives that are participating in that work and effort of shepherding and guiding us and caring for us. So he ends with a lot of good reminders and with that focus in such a way that, yeah, I think it's as if he had practically forgotten about where he had been earlier. So once again, that overall summary. When overwhelmed with trouble and feeling like there is no relief in sight, do not relent in remembering the character and works of God. So that not relenting is partially because he had kind of tried, and it's like, ah, I'm praying, and I'm not finding comfort. Ah, I'm singing a good song, and I'm not finding comfort. Ah, I'm remembering past times, and I'm not finding comfort. And, And sometimes it might take that kind of relentless pursuit, maybe like with him, it might take that relentless pursuit before we finally end in a place where our focus is not on the sources of comfort, the songs, the pastimes, the, but that our focus becomes on the God who can himself give the comfort that we need.